You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. What I want to share is that I'm very excited about taking over the helm. Uh, Jim Gowans was the interim uh, uh, president CEO prior to Jim. We had lucky to have Rick Van Nguyenhuis in the role, and I'm really going to take over the reins from those two individuals. And I think we've got not just a great asset, but a great series of assets in our portfolio. We're very excited about the quality of those projects. And I can tell you that this is a quality project. It's like Kamoka Kulu's quality project. This is a quality project in a very safe jurisdiction. So I think there's a lot of factors to consider in terms of where the valuation is. And we're certainly looking at it from a perspective that this company is grossly undervalued at its current share price. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in. Well, in today's interview, I get to introduce to you the new president and CEO of Trilogy Metals, Mr. Tony Giardini. He will be assuming the role of president and CEO of Trilogy Metals, one of our sponsors, come June 1st. If you're not familiar with the company, you can learn more at TrilogyMetals.com. The ticker symbol in New York and Toronto is TMQ. I asked Pat Donnelly, a previous guest of this show, who is the Vice President of Corporate Communication and Development with Trilogy, to come on and provide a brief introduction of Tony. So, Pat, welcome to the program, and please take it away. Uh, Thanks, Bill. It's good to uh, talk to you again. And um, we are very, very pleased that uh, Tony is coming aboard to, to lead the company. And what, what I'm really happy about, uh, we have someone uh, who knows the story very, very well. And uh, Tony's background is just impeccable, uh, working with uh, Ivanhoe uh, in Africa and in uh, uh, Mongolia. So uh, he knows copper very well. He was with uh, Ken Ross, which owns the uh, Fort Knox mine. Uh, in Alaska. And I think Tony is the the perfect guy at the right time uh, for this company, which is transitioning now that we have uh, the joint venture agreement behind us uh, with South 32 and moving forward soon with the permitting uh, of the Arctic project. So um, yeah, I'm very pleased to have Tony aboard and uh, I'll hand it over to you, Tony, to and, and Bill, obviously, to talk a bit more about uh, Trilogy. And Tony, please share a little bit about your background and um, what excites you most about this new role with Trilogy Metals. Uh, sure, Bill. Thank you very much. And thanks for having us on the show. Uh, firstly, you know, my background is I've been in the mining space for about 25 years. Um, I'm a, a finance background by training, and I started in, in the gold space in uh uh, with with Placer Dome, as uh, as Pat said, I, I spent uh, six years with the original Ivanhoe, which was now Turquoise Hill, where we were building OU Tolgoy. So uh, very familiar with large copper projects and working with joint venture partners. Uh, from there, I, I spent uh, just over seven years with um, Kinross uh, in uh, Toronto, and also at Kinross we had a large development asset in. Uh, uh, in Mauritania, and I was quite involved in terms of the technical side and uh, the project uh, development considerations. And then in my most recent role, I was the president of Ivanhoe Mines with three uh, large development assets, the primary one being uh, Kamoa Kakula, which is a joint venture with the uh, Chinese company Zijin and, and the DRC government. So uh, what excites me about the opportunity here at Trilogy is that, uh, firstly, as Pat said, I've been on the board involved with the company since it was spun out of Nova Gold. 
in 2011. Um, so I've known these assets for a long time, and I think we've got a, a small, small but very skilled management team uh, to move the projects forward. Uh, the fact that we were able to get such a large partner in South 32 to come in and invest at the, at the asset level is very promising. So we've got a lot of cash and uh, we've, we're in the process of really uh, moving the project forward from a um, uh, permitting perspective and looking at uh, how we can uh, further find more resources um, in uh, the Amber district. So it's really about um, the fact that we have a strong partner that we're working with, that we're financially very secure, that we're in a very secure jurisdiction that is very pro-mining. And I look at all of those aspects and we'll talk a little bit about copper later and, uh, and give you a bit more color on just, you know, the, the nature of the deposits up there and uh, the other considerations. But um, as, a, as an introduction, that's uh, my background and, uh, you know, my interest in trilogy. Thank you. And as the new captain at the helm of the ship, what uh, key challenges do you see over the next couple of years for trilogy and uh, how do you plan on tackling them? Yeah, I think for me uh, and for the company initially, it's really going to be about um, the relationship with South 32 and solidifying that relationship. South 32 has made a significant investment in terms of the JV. And what we want to do is work hand in glove with them to move a project forward on um, an agreed upon basis. So the first focus that we're going to have is really on uh, filling out the management team at the joint venture level and making sure that we've got the right people in place to do that. Uh, the second challenge that I see is on uh, building strong relationships with uh, the native corporations in Alaska and with uh, the Alaskan government, uh, because we'll need both of the support of those uh, uh, organizations, entities uh, to move our projects forward. And then the, the third aspect is how do we maximize value for our shareholders and our stakeholders? And we're gonna talk a little bit about the shareholder base later, but we're very fortunate we have a strong shareholder base. But I also feel that when we look at the share price and we look at the value of the underlying assets in the portfolio, um, they clearly, uh, the share price doesn't reflect what we have. We've got uh, at the joint venture level, <clears throat> excuse me, about $145 million in cash and at the corporate level, somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 million in cash. And we're getting very minimal value for the actual resources in the ground relative to our market cap. So, you know, the, the three focuses that I see are going to be about the relationship with South 32 as a partner and how we advance projects. Uh, building strong uh, uh, ties to the government and the native corporations. And then lastly, really uh, generating uh, an interest in the story and making people realize um, the undervalued nature of what uh, we have in the portfolio. Uh, so I feel very excited about the role and uh, taking on the challenge. When I last had Pat on the show, Pat said that perhaps the summer exploration program could be pushed back a little due to this uh, virus and the crisis, worldwide crisis that we're facing. Can you share a little bit more about how the COVID-19 crisis is affecting Trilogy and how do you plan to move forward considering the changed landscape of things around the world? Yeah, we're very fortunate in that we were able to get this JV constituted earlier this year and the focus is now on staffing that out. And while we do have a summer drill program planned and we're going to be pushing that back uh, a, a bit just because of what's happened with COVID-19, uh, at this point, it's not a critical path in terms of uh, where we're going. So we're hopeful that uh, even if we have to delay the exploration program uh, marginally, it shouldn't have an adverse impact on our overall plans in terms of, of moving the project forward. Uh, what we want to ensure, of course, is that 
our employees uh, are safe and the communities in which we operate um, aren't impacted by us bringing in any cases of uh, uh, COVID-19. So those are the considerations that uh, that we have. And you know, the native corporation that we deal with, Nana, has not had any cases in their communities, and we want to be very careful about how we move forward in terms of our exploration program. So, uh, well there could be some minor impact on getting the exploration program started. At this point, we don't feel it would really uh, materially change uh, our plans going forward at this point. I'd like to get your thoughts on the copper market, Tony. Copper, I've seen uh, we could lose up to 20% of annual production, much of that coming out of Peru based on articles that I've read. Copper is up about 19% from its mid-March sell-off bottom. Uh, what is your copper outlook for the rest of this year in 2021? Well, I mean, you know, in our case, uh, we're, we're not going to be producing for, for a number of years, and it's really about how, how we get this asset into development. But but, you know, the, the positive thing about the copper story is when you start to look at uh, global growth and let's hope that once um, the coronavirus situation starts to hopefully improve later this year and we get some of the growth that everyone's expecting in 2021, we start to see a return to a more normal market. But there's already been fairly significant deficits anticipated with respect to the copper market. And one of the challenges that we've seen in the space for a long time has been really an underinvestment of capital in terms of bringing new projects online. And a number of those projects have also come with hefty uh, capital cost increases. So um, I don't see or we don't see that changing anytime soon. And we see the demand profile for copper continuing to be very strong, whether it's on the back of the electrification of uh, the grid and you know, uh, more copper development in developing countries, or whether it's on the electric uh, car story, or whether it's with respect to just global growth in, uh, in general. And you know, the, the other consideration, uh, I think we'll, we'll see uh, more alternative uses coming out for copper as a result of everything that's happening now with the, the coronavirus in terms of antibacterial usage. Uh, and we're already starting to see some interest in, um, in how copper could be mobilized in, in terms of hospitals and uh, um, uh, public uh, uh, operations like airports, et cetera. So I, I think there's a very positive story on the copper side in terms of, uh, you know, price point. We're, we're really not uh, so focused on the near term, but I think when you look at consensus numbers, certainly people are focused at, uh, you know, uh, $3 and above. And I think there's lots of room for copper to, to move, particularly given the uh, supply demand fundamentals longer term. We're not talking about the specifics of your trilogy's projects in this interview, but I will point out that even where copper is today, your cash cost for one of your projects, the Arctic project, is only 15 cents. And I don't know, is there a copper project that has lower cash costs than that? No, you know, I think we're very fortunate in that, um, given the nature of the deposit, it, it, you know, we've got a number of other metals, including uh, some gold content and with gold having run up it, it certainly helps offset on a, on a, a cost basis what the, the, the cost per pound of copper is so we're very fortunate in that aspect and I think the other tie-in there is that it gives us flexibility as we look at the financing options associated with how we move this project forward and that we'll have other metals in the mix and having just come from um, Ivanhoe where when we look at the primary copper asset that, that Ivanhoe had, has which is absolutely world-class with, you know, copper grades of in excess of 5% and just a spectacular deposit. 
the one thing I would point out with respect to that deposit is that there's no copper credits associated with the, that uh, in terms of other metals, whereas we're very fortunate that we have a number of other metals that uh, will help offset um, uh, the production costs of the copper and really bring our costs in and, as you say, put us in a position where we'll be on the low end of a curve in terms of first quartile uh, uh, cost uh, structure, which which is very positive and, and gives us uh, – you know, a, a lot of um, uh, it, it, it gives us a lot of upside in terms of looking for additional deposits in the area that we can also put through to the mill once we're, once we're up and running. So it's a, a very good news story. Because you were the past president and recent president of Ivanhoe, uh, when I've done some trilogy interviews in the past on this show, one of the feedback that I've gotten from my listeners is, uh, Bill, trilogy looks good, but Ivanhoe has a better asset. I've always pointed out the jurisdictional risk, uh, Alaska versus Ivanhoe's assets. Uh, what would you like to say? Because you're kind of in a unique position in which you know both very well. What would be your response if you were answering this inquiry yeah it's, it's i think i think the way you've addressed it is is absolutely true i i mean one of the things that we always talked about as ivanhoe is is how you perceive risk and more often than not we looked at the asset quality of what some of the companies had out there and the fact that people were bringing building very low grade or bringing very low grade deposits into production and um and 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 they had huge capital risk and you know the beauty of the Kamoa deposit is is that it's such high grade and there's such upside associated with the expiration potential there. That's a spectacularly good uh, deposit. Now it is in a more challenging jurisdiction in terms of the DRC, and there is a government direct government ownership of twenty percent there right now, um, and so that's a consideration. Uh, when I look at the trilogy uh, assets, um, I think we're in a position where we've got. Uh, the benefit of being a in a very pro mining jurisdiction, similar to the DRC being a pro mining jurisdiction, but having the support of government, having the support of the local communities, and as I said before, having a high grade uh, deposit on the copper side, but also having those credits from those other metals that will help offset. And I think those are very important considerations for us in terms of being able to move. Um, the project forward. And the last thing that I would point out is when I look at the cumulative capital to bring the trilogy deposit in, it's, 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 it's very manageable for a company like, uh, like uh, trilogy uh, working with South 32. And uh, in, in the case of um, Kamo spectacular asset, it's going to be built in phases. So the first phase is $1.3 billion of capital, and then there'd be incremental capital going forward. So I, I think there's a lot of parallels. Um, I, I think, you know, uh, I can tell you I own both, and I'm very happy owning both, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, getting a, a fair valuation for what we have at uh, Trilogy, and uh, I think we're going to be successful in doing that, especially as people start to realize that we keep you know, knocking off all of the things that uh, we need to get done to move the project forward. Tony, another feedback or objection that I've received about Trilogy is, Bill, look at the share chart. It's already run up over tenfold from its lows in late 2015, early 2016. I pointed out that, yeah, but you can buy it at a 50% discount to its highs that you've already seen. Uh, if you were talking to this person, how would you respond? I think, you know, the first thing that people have to appreciate is that what we have as a partner now in South 32 is someone who has done extensive amounts of due diligence to take a portion of the uh, asset. And they recognize that there's a lot of potential upside 
with respect to the district and other uh, opportunities in that district from an exploration perspective. They've had the benefit of doing their on-site due diligence in terms of looking at all of the considerations and in terms of benchmarking our project against other projects. And they're prepared to put $145 million into the project on the basis of um, all of that due diligence that uh, we've done. I'd also point out if you look at when the original trilogy was spun out, it was spun out roughly at around a 450. I'm looking, I'm talking Canadian dollars because I only look at it from a Canadian dollar perspective, but roughly around 450 Canadian, which by the way at the time would have been similar to 450 US. And all we've done since then is actually de risk. Uh, the Arctic and uh, Bornate deposits and move these things forward from a permitting uh, road perspective and, and, and those considerations. And, you know, we've raised uh, money in the company without creating a whole lot of dilution. Uh, so I think we're very comfortable in terms of, um, you know, where things are at. And uh, there's a lot of cash on the balance sheet. I think uh, there's a number of uh, items coming forward, whether it's a record of decision with respect to uh, the road and the permitting process that we'll be going through, or a feasibility study that's going to be coming out shortly, which will provide additional impetus in terms of moving things forward. And then I think it comes back to what we talked about with respect to Copper Market, which is really a lack of quality projects out there. And I can tell you that this is a quality project. It's like Kamokakula is a quality project. This is a quality project in a very safe jurisdiction. So I think there's a lot of factors to consider in terms of where the valuation is. And we're certainly looking at it from a perspective that this company is grossly undervalued as current share price. You have a strong partner in South 32 as you lifted up. You also have strong institutional backing. 77% of the company is owned by institutions. But if there's a retail investor listening to us and they might not like such a high percentage ownership by institutions, uh, what would you share with them? Well, I think uh, if you look at the quality of the institutions that we have on our share register, I think it's, it's very positive. What it says to me is that we have institutions that have done a tremendous amount of due diligence on the story and the asset and uh, where we're going. And they continue to exhibit a lot of confidence in um, the, the story and where we're going. So I think uh, the fact that we're, we're very fortunate to have that strong institutional support is, 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 is key. And while I appreciate from a retail perspective, it's sometimes difficult to you know, acquire reasonable blocks simply because of the liquid nature of the stock from time to time. There are, the stock does trade and there is volume available, whether it's in uh, the States or in Canada. So I think it's a stock where uh, the fact that we're lucky enough to have a strong institutional support like we do uh, at Trilogy uh, speaks volumes to the fact that those shareholders really support what we're trying to do at the company. And I think it augurs well for our future in terms of being able to move things forward. And having been in a number of companies that don't have that strong shareholder base like Trilogy, I can tell you that people would kill for the type of shareholders that we have on the register that have been very patient, very long-term focused. And I think we're going to benefit from continuing to have those shareholders with us. Tony, if you could bear with one more concern, and this one is a sense in essence, uh, regarding where Trilogy is primarily on the Lassonde curve, a life cycle of a mining share where you're in that sometimes it's referred to as the boring stage of the, the life of the mine cycle. Uh, if an investor is saying, you know, I might 
might not see enough upside in the near term. Uh, what would be your appeal to this type of investor? We are in a period of time where it is very much about how we start to move things forward. I think uh, some of the points that I highlighted earlier in terms of a record decision on the road, the permitting process that we'll be going through, we're going to continue to spend money on exploration. And we've got an exploration program planned for this year and certainly for next. And we believe that there continues to be very um, positive targets in in in, in the uh, uh, Ambler district. So uh, we're excited about those initiatives that move us forward. As I said earlier, I think w- while we continue to believe that there's a, a, a not a, a reasonable valuation for the assets within the portfolio, and if you look at the fact how the share price changed or moved after South 32 made the commitment, it, it wasn't a significant change in terms of evaluation. So we think that there's a lot of positive momentum uh, tied to the story. We think there's a dearth of these uh, very good copper assets out there. And while we haven't seen the same consolidation happening in terms of the copper space, it's largely because there aren't a lot of great copper assets out there and we have one of them. So I think uh, that's always a consideration as well in terms of people looking at our asset and looking at the quality of what we have. And I think those are some of the themes that I would um, you know, put forward with respect to being in that boring development stage uh, of where we're at. Uh, I think we have a lot of positive uh, considerations going, going for us. And as we conclude our conversation here, Tony, um, any final thoughts you'd like to share with the investors that are listening to us? What I want to share is that I'm very excited about taking over the helm. Uh, Jim Gowans was the interim uh, uh, president and CEO prior to Jim. We are lucky to have Rick Van Nieuwenhuis uh, in the role, and I'm really going to take on uh, the uh, take over the reins from those two individuals and really focus on the points that I made earlier with uh, you know the benefit of a strong management team and uh, a strong board and very supportive shareholders. I think we've got not just a great asset but a great series of assets in our portfolio. We're very excited about being in Alaska uh, and working with. Uh, the native corporations and with the different levels of government to advance these projects. Uh, we're, we're very excited about the quality of those projects. And uh, I would encourage your listeners to have a look at uh, the Trilogy website and uh, just uh, think a little bit about some of the things that we've talked about today in terms of the copper space, the quality of the assets within the portfolio and um, you know, how we're moving this uh, forward to the next stage. And I'm going to put links to two videos in the show notes. One is Pat Donnelly's recent online presentation in which he go walks you through a lot of the trilogy slides so you can hear more about the projects in depth. And the second video is a 3D animation of what the Arctic deposit will ultimately be. So um, make sure you click those if you want a more in-depth understanding about the specifics of Trilogy's projects. Uh, Tony, thank you for coming on the show today for listening. Listeners that are wanting to find more information, go to TrilogyMetals.com. And again, the ticker is TMQ in New York and Toronto. Thank you for joining me today, Tony. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts it might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances 
uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks, don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can, do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met, you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.